0: We get all philosophical and computational today with our guest Stephen Wolfram, founder and CEO of Wolfram Research, creator of Mathematica, the Wolfram Alpha, Wolfram Language, and author of A New Kind of Science. We'll discuss artificial intelligence, Siri, and its applications to education. This is the Harvard EdCast. So computational knowledge, that is the, the subject of the day. And I remember back to when I was growing up uh, in school, I took a computer class. And in computer class, it was relegated to, not coding, not scratch, none of that stuff, it was uh, how to play Oregon Trail, turn off and turn on the computer. A lot has changed uh, since those early days. That tells
1: me how old you are.
0: Yes, yes, it gives that away a little bit, the Oregon Trail part and the learning the computers, but you know, I think about computational knowledge and computational literacy, and I think of all the friends that I have that are having kids in the school system, and I wonder where computational literacy fits into our school curriculums into what teachers are preparing our students for, or whether it's not doing that and why it's important?
1: Well, so, I mean, right, the the whole notion of computation as an important paradigm for dealing with the world, it's kind of a defining feature of the 21st century. It isn't mostly yet in education. I mean, the the thing to think about, you know, for any field X, you know, from archeology span to zoology, there either is now a computational X, or there will be, and it will probably be the defining direction for these fields and that's those are the careers those are the directions that we should be you know having students learn for now we're not doing that yet part of the problem has been a lack of technology a lack of the right kind of technology and part of the problem has been well school is very full already and how can we teach more now the thing to understand is at any moment in history there's a certain amount of knowledge that is worth teaching the humans and there's another part of knowledge which is should be automated. I mean we don't learn you know how to flint nap, we don't learn how to do things with quill pens anymore because that stuff has all been sort of uh, submerged by technology. I think the question is what, what makes sense to actually teach now and how does one fit it in? I think the thing to really understand the, the sort of key skill, I think, is this idea of computational thinking. What is computational thinking? It's a, it's a little different from writing computer code. Writing computer code is kind of the mechanics of using a computer. Computational thinking is kind of how do you formulate thoughts so that you can communicate them to sort of an arbitrarily smart computer? How do you take the things which are the things you want to do, the things, the questions you might have about the world, the the things you want to achieve, and how do you formulate them in a way so that a computer can help you do them? Um, And that's something where, you know, for me, I've been building tools for making computers do stuff for a long time. And, you know, the responsibility of us tool makers is to make things so that as much as possible, the human just gets to define what they want to do and then us tool makers automate the actual doing of it by the computer. And we've now pretty recently got to the point, I mean, this is something I've been working on for uh, close to 40 years now, but, but um, uh, a sort of a, a long run for the last 30 years of building this thing called the Wolfram language, which is kind of a, a computational communication language. It's a, it's a language where we humans get to communicate what we want to computers um, as, as sort of efficiently as possible, and then get the computers to do those things. And so, you know, the, the point of Wolfram Language is that it's a language which already knows a lot of stuff about the world. So it'll know about uh, you know, Harvard University, or it'll know about the location of all the state capitals in the US, or it'll know about um, you know, the how you compute what the shortest path is between all those state capitals, or all these kinds of things. And once you have that kind of knowledge in computable form and, once you, and when you've defined kind of a language for, for interacting with that, you've got something where you can kind of inject computational thinking into pretty much any area. So you know, my, my theory of it is that you know, computational thinking is, should be something that you routinely use as part of any subject you study. M- much as, you know, you, you write essays about lots of different kinds of things. There's a, there's a kind of thing I like to call computational essays, which is kind of a, a, a thing where it's sort of a mixture of, of the human defines the narrative, but part of that narrative is kind of a dialogue with the machine that's allowing one to kind of leverage what the machine can do to kind of uh, provide sort of a much higher level of content than a person can, can provide. So, you know, that, that's sort of an example of... of so I, I think it's something which, which should be part of every subject that's taught, not something which has been, I mean, I don't know the the dynamics of actual education, probably there will end up being some kind of computation piece that is sort of the um, the get started on computation thing. I mean, for example, in the case of mathematics, one of the big failures of mathematical education is that, you know, you ask kids, at least in my anecdotal observation, you kids, you know, they study math and you say, did you use the math you learnt for anything else? They look at you, they say, no, no, of course not. I just did that in a math class. And that's what we don't want to have happen with computational thinking.
0: And I think that that's probably what's interesting about people are very comfortable in that relationship between the machine and the individual. asking, I'm sure people listening to this podcast have asked Siri questions, have uh, used the Google Translate component of uh, Google search algorithms. But in a school setting, the relationship between a student and a teacher and a machine from a computational thinking perspective probably hasn't jumped in there yet, and a lot of people complain that the education world is a little bit further behind, but how do you see that cozying up? I know you talked about certain technologies uh, that need to be infused in schools, but perhaps is it is it down to the pedagogy and the teaching? Right.
1: So when you ask Siri a question, that's going to our technology to get it yeah. answered. Yeah, so Wolfram Alpha, so, yeah. The, so, and you know, Wolfram Alpha is, is the thing that is sort of routinely used by, by kids in school to do you know, well, first, first it was math homework, chemistry homework, things like that. Um, occasionally they also use it to actually ask questions about the world, um, which plenty of other people do too. But but, um, uh, so, you know, the question, what is, what is new in these recent years is the fact that with Wolfram Language, you know, we built this kind of stack of automation of computation. That's to the point where basically the same tools can be used by the fanciest research and development folk around the world and by kids. I mean, this has happened in a bunch of other areas. It's democratic. It's, yes, right. I mean, you know, it happened in video editing. You know, the, the $100 million movie gets edited by the same tools that random kids will use. Final cut, yeah. Right. And, um, you know, and that's now happened for for computation and computational knowledge. And so then now the, the question is, okay, so given that this is now possible, given that this tool now exists, um, what what can actually be done in the kind of educational establishment to, to inject this. I think the thing that I've noticed that's really interesting is, you know, we see people using Wolfram language and using our technology in schools, and you might think, oh, it will always be the math and science teachers. It's not. There are plenty of English teachers and history teachers and things like that who uh, see this and it's not like the coding they were used to. It's not really, it's, you know, coding is a pretty low level activity. It's It's something where you're really, pandering to the details of how the machine works. Um, It's something where, in many ways, one of the things that I actually have been afraid of is that the emphasis on sort of coding education will be such that the main thing kids will take away from it is the same main thing that they take away from math education, which is math is hard and kind of boring. I mean, not every kid takes that away, but that's that's the predominant thing. And I think that sort of straight, you know, let's go down to the level of the details of the machine coding has the risk of doing the same thing. What's great about kind of what we can now do, and sort of the automation of computation and computational knowledge, is that okay. So pick an area. I don't know. You can pick, pick a pick a domain, and we'll talk about pick something a kid might care about, and we'll talk about how it gets to be computational.
0: Right now, pick anything. Yeah, pick okay. Them. A kid might care about Justin Bieber.
1: Okay. So here, so you can go, you can go to Wolfram Language or Wolfram Alpha, and you can say, show me all the um, uh, all the songs that Justin Bieber has uh, has made, and you can immediately you can make a timeline of all Justin Bieber's songs, and you can figure out okay he was really active at the beginning, and then then lost interest. Maybe you can get the lyrics to some of these songs. You can make a word cloud of them. You can decide that the most important word for Justin Bieber is is now or something or wh- whatever it is. Um, you know that would be a uh, uh, you might be able to you probably can't right now get data on the actual musical forms from them, but if you could. You could, uh, you know, you take, take some, some song, you can do a bunch of audio processing, these kinds of things. I mean, that's the, that's the kind of thing where, where you can, or, or you could take, um, uh, probably, probably we have data on Justin Bieber concerts, and you could probably figure sure. out, you know, did Justin Bieber... Actually, follow the shortest path around the cities that he was visiting for his concert tour, or did somebody goof it up? Interesting. And,
0: uh, you know, it's, you talk about people using Wolfram language and Wolf, Wolfram Alpha as for more math and science things. I watched your te- 2010 TED Talk, and it's oh, what's the GDP of this country divided by the revenue of Microsoft? It, it, that's the, where it goes. What I found is someone who has uh, recently, you know, been curious with AI or just interacting with. Machines is the number of times you'll be at a party and someone jokingly will go Siri What's the meaning of life and all of a sudden philosophy and theology and these sort of matters of humanities? questions of love uh, Truth beauty goodness faith all of a sudden are being checked in with machines
1: Yeah, yeah, right well, you know, I think one of the things that is exciting about kind of the modern development of AI is you know AI is our first real example of alien intelligence so we're building something which is kind of uh you know which has intelligence somewhat similar to our own in many ways can talk about uh, uh there's lots lots to say about that but the thing that's interesting about it is it's it's intelligence that is not is is distinct in many ways from our sort of historical and biological development and it's something where it does what it does we don't necessarily understand the details of what's going on inside um and uh, uh it's it's something where you know, I think in the, in the sort of the assumptions about what computers can do, what computers can, can, uh, can be used for, will change somewhat. I think that the, main, the main thing that I think we'll see coming is that the set of things that are possible for us to have happen in the world will dramatically increase. And the main issue will be, so we can do all these things, now what do we want to do? And, you know, the one thing you talk about, you know, you can talk about sort of automating stuff. There are all these jobs that will get lots of jobs will get automated. There are lots of jobs where computers will do them better than humans. The question is, what can you not automate? And there's sort of almost by definition a thing you can't automate, which is the, well, what do you actually want to do? In other words, what are the goals that you're trying to achieve? Given, given a set of goals, you may do a good job. You know, us tool builders together with our AIs and so on um, will... You know, are trying to do a good job, at getting to the point where, given the goal, we can, as efficiently as possible, get towards that goal. The question then is: So, what should the goal be? And you know, one of the things I've found interesting, one of the issues right now is, you know, with computation, we have a very powerful source of uh, sort of a, there's this ocean of computation that's a sort of that's capable of doing so many things. The question now is: How do we tell that ocean of computation what to do? What we actually want. And so in my life as a language designer, you know, I see my role as being sort of bridging the what do humans want with what can we get computation to do. And so you know, right now, one of the issues is you know, we've got AIs, they're getting more powerful. we going to lots of systems in the world. We're going to say, hey, AIs, you're better at running these than humans. One of the questions is, how do you describe to the AIs what globally we want humans, what do we want these AIs to have as their goals? And so one of the things I've been interested in is how do we extend sort of the idea of a precise language like Wolf language um, to cover the kinds of things that might be in sort of a constitution for how we want the world to actually work when the world is being effectively run by AIs.
0: So it's a constitution for AI.
1: Yes, yes. So I mean, and and that's something where, you know, one of the things that's a sort of popular, you ask about, you know, where does computation come in? You know, if you're going to be a lawyer of the future, you better know how to write some kind of code because a lot of contracts are going to be written in code, not in English. I mean, English is a very inefficient way, you know, legal contracts and legalese are kind of a way of, of describing what you want to have happen in the world. They're a rather crummy way to do that. If only it could be written in pure code, then machines could execute these things, and it would be a lot simpler to do lots of kinds of things and I think that the uh, you know when you 're telling an AI what you want it to do, telling it in rather imprecise English is not really going to cut it um, and so that 's a place where so so you know in terms of education one of the one of the things that I think is is interesting and you know you look at the sort of automation of things the the part that isn't getting automated is the part about, so what do you actually want to do? And so when you kind of roll back from that, so what should you teach humans how to do? You don't necessarily need to teach humans how to go sort of inside the engine and figure out how to fix the car, so to speak. Um, you need to figure out, you know, you need to teach the humans how to drive the car or to figure out what they, where they want to drive to and so on. And I think the um, uh, sort of the analogy there is sort of teaching computational thinking, is teaching about how do you take what you want and formulate it in such a way that you can have a sufficiently smart, a sufficiently capable computer, AI, whatever, do it. And and what you find is that as you start thinking about things in computational terms, it's a very it really crispens the way that you think about things in general. Just as, you know, back in, the, in ancient times, you know, when logic got invented, later on when math became popular, these were kind of structuring mechanisms for how one thinks about things. Computation is sort of a paradigm, is a structuring mechanism for how to think about things, and it's really powerful. And there are lots of things, as, as it becomes more common uh, in the world for people to be able to do good computational thinking, uh, there'll be lots of kinds of things that can be figured out uh, and that people routinely can figure out um, that aren't possible today.
0: So it's the goal-setters and the strategists that don't have to worry about their jobs being automated.
1: I think that's right. I think there's, there's that's the, you know, what would be the definition of an automated goal? Yeah. I mean, you know, when we think about that at a sort of broader philosophical level, I mean, the, you know, the universe is doing computations, it's doing pretty sophisticated computations, but those computations don't, it doesn't do them with a goal, or not a goal that we recognize.
0: And the question I have is, you talked about setting the constitution within Wolfram language. What is the the fear amongst AI is that AI becomes more aware, and therefore would want to crumple up the constitution, throw the tea out into the harbor, and do their own thing. It's hard to ask you to predict certain things, but is that is that an issue that you foresee?
1: Well, I think the, the you know, the thing is, the universe is a great example of a computationally sophisticated thing, and it just does what it does. Yeah. And that's the same thing with you know a computer system we build. It will just do what it does. And you know if you set it up to have a particular goal, it will follow that goal. But most of the time, it just does what it does. I mean, we can describe it as, we can look at what it's doing, and we can say, gosh, just like we can look at a natural process, and we can say, gosh, it looks like that thing is trying to achieve. You know, it looks like the hurricane is trying to do such and such a thing. But really, the, you know, we have an alternative description, which is just it's doing what it does based on the laws of physics. And it's the same thing with these computational processes. So,
0: so we're going to have uh, the final minute. We, we're going to have teachers uh, and students and parents and educators whose minds are already blown right now just having listened to you. What, what is it that they can do when they stop listening to this podcast and go into the school and to their schools tomorrow into their classrooms that can, as a tangible takeaway, uh, make their classroom more focused on computational literacy, computational thinking, regardless of the technology in the room?
1: Right. Well. We're trying to make technology, I mean, you know, if you, uh, Wolfram language thing, and we have a thing we're calling a computational thinking initiative, which is an attempt to sort of deliver that as broadly as possible, in particular the K through 12 world. Um, and, you know, I wrote a little book called Elementary Introduction to Wolfram Language. Um, these, are, these are places to start. I mean, what I found is that about age 11 or 12, um, kids seem to be able to start you know, writing Wolfram language, um, and they get quite proficient. In fact, the scariest thing for me is running into 11 year olds who can speak Wolfram language, which is very hard for me to understand. Like they can speak computer language. What's in a quick example of that? I don't know. I, I, I'm not very good at speaking it. You know, Nestlist, Hash, Wedge. Oh. Hash Amazon such okay. and such such yeah. and such thing, okay. and, and then you we'll know, check
0: with Siri on that later.
1: Yes, right. It it, it should it should understand <laughs> it. That is that is the thing, and no, that no. is the language in which it is programmed. So, so Siri is understand.
0: an it, not a she. Okay, no. go ahead.
1: It's uh, yeah, right. It's it's uh, for now. Yeah. It's um, uh, no, but I think I think concretely, the thing that is really exciting right now is computational thinking. We've gotten the tools to the point where this can be broadly done and you know for better or worse it, you know the tool set that i've built over the last 30 years for reasons that had nothing to do directly with education had to do with supporting the world's sort of research and development community happens to be the sort of unique thing that has gotten us to the point where it's possible for kids to have access to this kind of computational power and you know the the, the thing now is Uh, It seems to really work. I mean, it seems to be the case that kids can learn this stuff. And it's pretty neat because you'll end up with a 13, 14-year-old where you tell them some question about the world, and they'll start typing, and they'll be figuring out, you know, they'll be generating infographics that show the answer, and they'll figure out a bunch of stuff. And it's it's not, you know, this is a new thing. I mean, kids have not traditionally been able to go and figure out adult-level so to speak, stuff about the world. And this is something that is now possible. And you know, I think we kind of owe it to future generations to get them to the point where this is something they routinely do. And you know, we now have the technology to do this. The, the challenge, I mean, from an education point of view, I should say one of the interesting challenges, one of the things I like to do is live coding and live experiments, where you just go and start exploring something, you don't know where it's going to go. That's a slightly different kind of teaching modality than what people are used to, where the teacher knows everything, because the fact is the computer is gonna do stuff and bring in knowledge that the teacher doesn't have, where it's just like, oh, that's interesting. And you know that's something that I think is, is empowering for kids, at least that's been my observation about it. Um, it's, uh, it's something which one has to sort of adapt to um, in terms of sort of educational process.
0: You, you mentioned the book, uh, obviously, um, where can people learn more about the work that you're doing if they want to follow up on this? You have a blog, you have a podcast yourself.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Well, I mean, it, yes, you can find StephenWolfman.com, that's about me, and wolfram.com, that's about my company and all the various things we do. And you, you'll find on, on Wolfram.com, for example, there's an there's a immediate access button for a thing called Wolfram Programming Lab, which is kind of a, a free, immediate, online version of Orphan language um, that has a bunch of activities for kids and is also linked to the, my book, which is also free online. Um, and uh, uh, it uh, seems to be a good place to start. There have been a bunch of kids over the last couple of years who have really uh, launched. I mean, the thing, the thing that for me is exciting is when kids can get to the point where once they have thought of something, they can spontaneously on their own turn the thing they're thinking about into something where they can do a computation based on it and get an answer to the question they were asking.
0: Sir, it is an honor. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Thank you kindly for listening.